Hello, everybody. Joel Junker here with Cameron Brooks. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Cameron Brooks podcast, Above and Beyond. Uh, those of you that have listened to several of these know that uh, our goal or objective here is to talk to uh, Cameron Brooks alumni predominantly. We may have some other guests in the future that have relationship with Cam- uh, Cameron Brooks, like thinking about trying to get Renee Brooks, uh, our one of our founders, uh, to be a guest here in the near future. Um, I'd love to also interview my colleagues, Pete uh, Van Epps and Rob Davis, too, uh, to talk about their experience as well. But overall, the purpose of the podcast is to talk to our alumni that have made the transition to business and take out what they've learned uh, in the transition from military to business, how they're succeeding, some of the lessons learned that they could pass on to other officers working in business or to uh, military officers uh, that are considering uh, the transition. And in this episode, uh, I interview uh, Tanya Chavez, who uh, works for a company called G3. Uh, they are uh, not a part of Gallo Winery. Uh, they're related to it, uh, started by some of the Gallo family members. And she'll share a little bit of that with that with with you all in the episode. Many of the things that I really like about this this podcast is that she talks about uh, having a job mastery mindset being passionate, being curious, and dropping the mask, you know, being you both at home and at work. And Tanya and I get into a, some deep, pretty deeper subjects towards the end, and I think we were able to do that because I've known Tanya for so long and, and uh, uh, we've bounced ideas off of one another. Um, the other thing I would recommend uh, from this podcast is she shares a TED Talk uh, called by Drew Dudley called Everyday Leadership. And I just watched that this morning. Highly, highly recommend that. So enjoy the podcast. Hi, Tanya. Welcome to the Cameron Brooks Podcast. Really excited to have you on, especially as we got talking before we started this. Uh, exciting that you've been promoted, um, teaching at UC Berkeley as well now. So I'm really excited for you to share your story um, in this. And so let's just jump in. And why don't you just tell the the audience, the listeners, just give a little background of what you do at G3 currently or maybe even where you're going to at G3 currently, and then we'll go from there. Sounds good. Well, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so right now I manage supply chain at our label division. So we have two manufacturing sites at G3. One is our closure division, which is actually where I started, and now I work in the label division. We primarily service the wine and spirits industry. And... Um, my particular role is managing the supply chain here. So I've got everything from procurement, supplier development, and production scheduling on my team. And the main thing I do outside of that is sales and operations planning. So we are looking, you know, out 18 months and developing a strategy to figure out how do we meet the needs of our business in the next six to 18 months. Uh, we'll present out uh, on a regular basis with the CEO and the vice president. Um, and really just try to develop a strategy on the supply, operations, and sales side. So it's really nice having your hand in so many different pots and being able to synthesize that all together and develop a strategy for for a division. You know, I might be able to get into this in the introduction, too, uh, that that uh, um, before we started the, the interview, that the listeners are li- uh, will eventually get to listen to this. But why don't you give some background on what, uh, the company you're worth with G3 because it's not um, it's not something that we're going to go to a grocery store and buy anything from 
the G3 product, but we might be holding something that G3 made. If we, you know, like a, a company that has used your labels or your closures or maybe even your bottling. Yeah, absolutely. So G3 is basically stands for third generation Gallo. So it's a E and J Gallo winery family company. It's totally separate from the winery, and we service pretty much everything you can think of in the supply chain when it comes to the wine industry. So we do labels, closures, logistics, mobile bottling, where we'll take a trailer and drive it up to somebody's winery and bottle for them. We broker glass. We even have a sand mine where we'll sell to glass plants that make wine bottles. And so we really do a ton of different things, all aimed to supporting the wine and spirits industry. And so when you look you at like a label for golf for, courses oh, too, right? We do. We do. Golf courses as well. <laughs> we do. How did that happen? Uh, that was kind of a side benefit. So we had so much sand that we we're selling to the glass plants that we had excess sand as well. So we ended up selling that to the golf courses. Uh, we also sell to cattle feed. So we have a pumice division, which takes all the leftover stuff when you crush grapes for a winery. And so we've got skins and twigs and all that stuff can get dried and used for different things. You could use it for sugar to add additional sugar content, content, alcohol content, uh, coloring. And it's also used to help with fill up cattle feed depending on how some of the other commodity markets are doing. So we really do try to use everything, including all of the waste streams that we get from the winemaking process and sell those into other markets if we can. Where did you start? What what was the let's instead of I was just going to ask you maybe we should just talk about what role you started in at G3, but I think I should back up a little bit before that. Give us an over give the audience an overview of your military your your education and your military background. Sure. So I started my undergrad at the Air Force Academy, and there I majored in behavioral science, and I also started. My love for teaching pretty much started there. So I was a jump master on the parachute team. So I competed, jumped into air shows, and then my favorite thing to do was teaching. So we taught all summer, and we would teach basically students to do free or five solo free fall jumps in order to earn their um, jump wings. So I really, really enjoyed that. Um, majored in, I think I mentioned this already, majored in behavioral science. And then graduated in 2006 as an intelligence officer. Went to Goodfellow in the middle of nowhere, Texas, in San Angelo, Texas. And spent about nine months there just going through general intelligence training. After that, I went to Okinawa for two and a half years. I supported... Originally, I started out at the wing level where we were supporting tons of different aircraft. So we had, it's kind of unique in that sense where they had so many different airframes in one base. So we had helicopters, F-15s, uh, tankers, so air refuelers, uh, a pararescue squadron. We also had another, uh, like an intelligence squadron that was part of the special operations squadron there. So it was a pretty diverse mission. Um, but specifically, I ended up supporting S-15. After that, I moved on and did a totally different, still supporting air crew, but totally different mission, and was supporting drones in Las Vegas. Um, there, I was doing more collateral damage estimates, intelligence gathering, 
um, a lot more surveillance uh, on that side. So that was really enjoyable as well, um, focusing more on the Middle East instead of the Pacific. And then after that, I uh, decided to transition out, uh, obviously going through Cameron Brooks, and ended up at G3. And what was your initial starting role? At G3? was yeah. uh, I was a business analyst at the closure division. So specifically, I was supporting a, a huge process improvement initiative where basically the two manufacturing divisions were undergoing this huge overhaul because we're trying to grow. We're basically trying to double our business in 10 years. And right now, everything was kind of done in, or back then, I should say, everything was done in spreadsheets, kind of fly by the seat of your pants. And this project was meant to really start to systematize things, whether it's with process, procedures, or systems. And I came in right when we were starting to implement a supply chain planning software. And you mentioned on the call, so just before we got started, mm -hmm. you're, you're doing another mm -hmm. supply chain software big project that you're leading to as so, well. Well, so tell us, about, tell us about how you gained that experience and how your Intel background or your Air Force experience has allowed you to do like supply chain software projects at G3? Well, I kind of think it's actually very, very similar. So when I think of intelligence, I, I think about all the inputs we have. And so, you know, you have open source input, you have the intelligence agencies sending you a bunch of information, and being operational or being embedded in the aircraft or the flying squadron, it was my job to take all that information, synthesize it, and figure out what pieces are useful to the audience that I'm, to the audience that I'm uh, presenting the information to, or how do you develop tactics around this information. And with supply chain, I think of it being very similar. There's so many different inputs in supply chain when you're coming up with strategy. You're trying to decide where do you want to buy your supplies from, how many backup suppliers do we need. There's a lot of risk mitigation involved. What's the most efficient way to schedule the production for? And so you're just taking all these different inputs and trying to come up with an efficient schedule, which I would relate to as developing tactics in the, in the Air Force. Um, it was really a fun experience because I enjoy being in that kind of, I guess, ambiguous environment where you have all these different tools and you're trying to figure out how to solve a problem. But you can't, it's not laid out for you. There's no flow chart or checklist. It's really just taking the tools you have and figuring out how to solve the problem that you you are given. So that same, even though it's very different in terms of in the, in, in the Intel world, I was looking at the geopolitical situation, or I was looking at military tactics, you might be looking at different things, but at the end of the day, it's the same problem, taking all this information and figuring out how to develop tactics around it. And, and, and Tanya, what are you, you've been very successful at G3 um, in the time that you've been there. You've been back, you've interviewed military officers, you've taken on a big project. What do you, what do you think is like the one or two things that you have done that has allowed you to be successful, that you could share those tips or pieces of advice with other people? I think the biggest thing is, and I think the Air Force people would understand where I'm coming from on this. The way I would relate it is the first, I guess, little assignment I had to do when I was at my first operational squadron was to be the snacko. So basically, you're filling up the snack bar. <laughs> and it seems like a really, really menial task. 
But in reality, the way you approach that reveals something about your character and how you're going to approach every job that you are given. And I learned that very early on in the Air Force. And I think I just took that same sort of mentality and used it here. So no matter what I was doing, you, you treat it like it's your, like it's your dream job. And then, you know, you start to, I guess, I guess the way I would summarize it is to bloom where you're planted. Instead of focusing on what your next role is going to be, is just really doing an excellent job at the role that you're doing today. And then you'd be surprised how many opportunities come knocking your way based on how you, you treated the role that you entered at. And so I think that was one of my biggest pieces. Oh, were you going to ask something? Sorry. No, sorry. You go ahead. Sorry. That was one of the biggest things for me is just focusing on the job that I had at hand and thinking about how that applies to the company or how I can add value to the company. So a lot of times people get kind of stuck in the, well, what's in it for me or what's my next move? But when you just start to figure out what the company needs and filling those holes and just taking the initiative to, to drive the business forward, opportunities will start landing at your feet from there. What would you say is your big, was your um, biggest adjustment that you had to make going from the military to business that you maybe want to make other officers aware of or they might have something similar to that? For me, it was the camaraderie. I mean, I joined the military for a lot of different reasons, but camaraderie was always at the top of my list. I really enjoyed the community that I was going into, and I grew up in the military. So I lived in uh, on Yongsan in Seoul, Korea for until I was 14 years old. So even as a kid, I grew up in that same sort of tight-knit community. And I think part of that was because it was so clear that you were part of something bigger than yourself. And it was easy to see how you fit into the mission. That mission isn't as clear. Like when you're thinking about printing wine labels or capsules, it's easy to be like, well, what impact am I making on the world? And so there are times that I would get kind of lost in that. Like, is this really what I want to be doing? Like, am I actually making a decent enough impact or a big enough impact that I want to make? And for me, a big realization was that you don't need that. You don't need that huge mission to drive you forward or to motivate your team. Because in reality, just being the smaller things are what really matter, in my opinion. Um, There's a TED Talk that's called Everyday Leadership by Drew Dudley. It's one of my favorite TED Talks. And he talks about how we make leadership bigger than ourselves. Like you have to be Gandhi to be a leader. But he's like, no, it's really about the interactions you have with each person in your day-to-day life that truly changes the world. And so when I shifted my mindset to a, like a more micro environment and the impact I could have on just my team and how do I create a high-performing team with high camaraderie where I am today, that really changed my motivation for me and that changed things going forward. But that initial adjustment was hard. When you put on a uniform every day, it's very, very clear what you're part of and what team you're part of. So creating, now on the civilian side, you have to create that team for yourself and create that drive and create a high-performing team and camaraderie more locally. How did you work through that time? I mean, that's a real common thing. You, got, you beat me to the punch on finding meaning in your work. You basically answered it, so I appreciate you got <laughs> out there. But how did you, I think that there's, one, that's something that everybody wonders about. I leave the military life, find meaning in my work. And two, you got there, challenged with it. How did you get through it? I started to slow down to celebrate smaller wins. 
So, for example, I'm, you know, you mentioned earlier I'm now teaching up at UC Berkeley, and the class that I teach is leadership communications. And a lot of times, it's not just about the way you communicate with people, but how do you show up authentically? How do you motivate people on your team? And how do you just show up for each other? And part of the reason why I love teaching so much is I really enjoy watching the potential in people. Like I, wa I love watching people realize that they have more to give. And so I started doing that with my team. Even if I could just move them one step forward into getting more fulfillment in their career, finding the balance they're looking for, getting them on a project that's intellectually stimulating for them, understanding what motivates people and driving them to do, to follow what it is that they want to do is really, really, really enjoyable for me. So I started focusing less on what's the impact to the world then what's the impact to an individual, what impact can I make on individual people? And I know that that impact will just trickle, it's like pay it forward, the movie pay it forward, right? You impact, impact that one person and hopefully they'll go and do it to somebody else. And so I stopped thinking so big picture and I stopped making leadership like such a big concept and I was like, you know what? It's about my team, that's who I can influence. And in actuality, it was like that in the military, too, because really it was my team that I had impact on. It was just easier to connect to the bigger mission. But in this case, I thought, you know what, what's bigger than impacting somebody's life, their livelihood, um, their happiness? I mean, they come to work 40 hours a week. I mean, you, you could have a really, really big impact on people that way. I don't know if you ever saw the, the movie um, about Schmidt. It's kind of a depressing, depressing movie or it can be funny. <laughs> Depending, but um, Jack Nicholson is the lead character and is an insurance salesperson, I think, in Omaha. I mean, let's it's kind of let's make it as depressing as you can. Not not on not as negative about Omaha insurance sales, but like it's dark, it's gray, it's dreary, and uh, the setting. And you know, he imagines himself like on Fortune magazine and has all these dreams and. And then he retires, and you know they send him off with his watch, and it's all done. And it's really all around like finding meaning in your work and um, meaning in your life and those types of things. And um, and just remember, you know, thinking that you know we all have these dreams, and I never want to shortchange somebody uh, on yeah, I have a dream to be on Fortune magazine. I don't know if that's noble or not, but you know the reality is that no matter who is out there, there's always going to be a mission, people, or operation that's bigger. And what we're doing and what we have, and yet we have all these moments during every day to make changes, to make an impact that are right in front of our face. And I like to say the story, it's, it's brick by brick. You know, we want to build these amazing buildings and walls, but all those amazing buildings and walls get built one brick at a time. And, and those, those little things all really add up. And might never end up on the cover of Fortune, might never have the title of the CEO, might never, and there's always going to be somebody that has a better title, but you can make a difference in what, who you are and the way that you live your life and how you interact with other people. Um, but I wanted to play off of that because that's how I find meaning in my work as well. Absolutely, and I think it's everyone's challenge as a leader, and I don't mean just in terms of your title as whether or not you're a manager or not, but it's everyone's job to create and especially if you're a manager, I guess I should say, to create that meaning and make it clear what it is. That's part of the challenge, and that's part of the fun. So I started to view that as a challenge instead. Um, 
because even though you know we might be able to show up and we've come to that realization and say I'm going to show up to work and I'm going to make a difference in the people that are around me today not everybody has that same clarity and so I do think it's a challenge for you know especially in the position I am in now you know in the team around me to make it very clear to them what piece they play and what role they play and help them find that same sort of fulfillment what does leadership mean to you Tanya how would how do you define it? that's a very loaded question for me I don't even know where to put start with five. that one like I'm interviewing I know. Like, like five years ago right six years ago <laughs> Okay, let me throw you. I think for me, I'll tell you what I think. What I think leadership means to me is first, I don't think you can define it. I don't think there's a definition for it. Um, I think it it means many different things. And I go back to, um, I think one definition of leadership is to look out for those that can't defend themselves. There's a lot of whether it be or look out for other people that need help. That's leadership. I think leadership is also um, is somebody that sees what's possible and can energize people and resources to make that become reality. Leadership can be the silent example. Um, but in all in the end, what I believe that leadership is is about catalyzing actions for a greater good or for a positive. A positive. Certainly there's leaders that can catalyze actions mm-hmm. that they think negative, but those aren't, I don't, I don't define them as true leaders. I don't think there's anything that you can necessarily define. Like this is the one sentence. I'm sure other people could argue may argue with me. That's just my opinion. Look out for those mm-hmm. that need help and energize resources and people to, to make some sort of positive effect. Those are my No, my that's two a, No, I, I would I would definitely agree with that. I think it's the leader's job to create a space where people are able to use their creativity and their gift to a greater good. I'll put you on the spot again. What does success? Sure. What does success mean to you? How do you define success? Whether like in life, how do you define that? So kind of similar to my answer about leadership. It's being able to for me it's to be able to be part of something bigger and being able to use my talents towards that. So it's less about, you You know, you kind of give the example about a goal being to be on the cover of Fortune, right, or being a CEO. To me, those are results of what you truly enjoy. So, you know, when I look for a job, I really enjoy, I know what I like, right? Like, I know I like, I like having a blank canvas and trying to figure it out from there. That's when I'm the most creative and I'm able to drive change or bring a team together to make the business drive forward. Um, I enjoy creating that kind of camaraderie in a high-performing team. And I enjoy things that are intellectually stimulating, whether it's um, at work or at home. So I guess for me, it's, uh, that's, that's how I find the fulfillment. Let me, two other questions that are going to be, I think I've got three questions left left for you. Um, two of them are going to be on the spot. One's going to be super easy. You want to go with the super easy one to warm up with? Sure. All right. Favorite book that you read and why? I have a lot of favorites. This is a really tough one for me, actually. It was supposed but to be I, the easy I, one. 
<laughs> I know, I know. I just, I, I go through books really quickly. Um, it's a good thing I majored in behavioral science because that's naturally the types of things that I will automatically pick up. Um, so I actually read one recently that is quickly becoming on the top of my list. And maybe I just say that because it's exactly what I needed right now. And it was called The Things You See When You Slow Down. Let me double check. It's translated. Okay. Yeah, it says, okay, the things, you, the things you can see only when you slow down. And it's actually okay, written great. by a, it's a, it was originally written in Korean. Okay. And it was translated this year. So I believe it's a three-year-old book, and it was just translated into English this year. And it was written by a Buddhist monk, but he incorporates all different viewpoints in this book. But I really enjoy it because lately I feel like we lose we're losing the ability to be creative and, as I mentioned earlier, slow down in order to celebrate the little things. It's really, and I, I, you know, I was talking to a mentor today, uh, of a, a mentor that I talk to every couple of months, and, you know, she talked to me about being able, taking time during the week or a couple of weeks to reward yourself. And she didn't mean, like, reward yourself with a donut or with, you know, some prize. She meant, like, reward yourself by slowing down, picking up the phone to, to call a friend, to call that mentor, to check in with somebody you haven't checked in with a little while. And that's, I bet you that's part of that slowing down instead of that go, go, go all the time. Exactly. I mean, not just to refill your own cup, but, you know, one of the things I mentioned earlier was a leader's role is to create a space for people to bring their talents and bring them together towards a, a greater purpose. A lot of times I think people are, le are they're not bringing everything they could to the table because they're not slowing down enough to create space for creativity, for good ideas to come across, to uh, percolate with a problem. Instead, we tend to be very, a lot of people tend to be very task-driven and task-oriented. And I think we're doing each other and ourselves a disservice by not slowing down and bringing everything you can to the table. That's, that, that, Right there, that advice, and then the advice on the uh, finding meaning in your work, those are worth the, the podcast, the golden nuggets right there. But I've got two other things <laughs> similar. They're similar. Sure. Right, so if, you could write, if you could write an email to all military officers that were uh, all military officers that were thinking of transitioning, um, whether they already made the decision or thinking of transitioning, you could write them an email, but it would have like, one sentence in the email, what would your sentence be to those people thinking about making the transition or preparing to make that transition? Does it have to be directed towards military officers or? You know, there's no, I, you have it, there's any, you can do anything you want on a podcast. I think. Okay, perfect. <laughs> okay, perfect. So this question I really enjoy because I think in the military this happens a lot even though I don't think it should. In the subject I would put drop the mask and in the subject or in the body of the email I'd put what are you leaving at home that you should be bringing to work and what are you leaving at work that you should be bringing home. What are you drop the mask what are you leaving mm -hmm. at home that you should be taking to work 
and then what are you leaving at work that you should be taking home? Yes. Or should is there, are you, or should it be what are you taking home that you should be leaving at work? <laughs> I think for me, oh, I, I want the say. second one. Uh, so I'm not thinking of like physically bringing work home. I'm talking about your own right. individuality. So when you think about right. being a leader and being genuine and you've got to do it through your own there's no formula for leadership except being yourself and then there's other pieces that you can bring to the surface or learn or I mean there's pieces that you do need to learn right you need to learn how to communicate effectively and there's definitely things that you can learn but at the end of the day it all has to be through the lens of yourself and so the example I like to use is a lot of times people leave stuff at home that they should bring to work. Like maybe it's, um, maybe they're really funny and they should bring that humor into the workplace and lighten things up a little bit and help diffuse tense situations that way. But on the flip side, a lot of times at work, maybe you're patient at work but not at home because at work you're with your coworkers, you don't want to lose your temper, whatever it is. Maybe you should bring that patience home or the time management skills home. Or So I think you talk to my wife before to, we did this. No. Talk to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Like if you show up to your life as you and it's more of an integration than work life balance, I guess I would say. One, it's so much easier and two, people see you as you and it's people want to follow people who are genuine. And so that would be the I'm one a pretty genuine I person. It's funny, I feel like I'm a pretty genuine person, but I have a really hard time bringing my bringing my sense of humor to anywhere outside of actually just inside of my home. Um, and I, I don't think that I'm necessarily a super funny person, but I think if you talk to my wife and, and my, at least my two oldest daughters, they would say that I have a pretty funny sense of humor. My mom and dad would say that, but I like really hold it very close. I mean, and most people would say that Joel is a completely, really intense, serious person. And I get feedback from my team members that I should be bring more humor in the work, and I just can't do it. And I don't know, and I, I think I have it just because what I do, it's not that it backfires, but I feel like I'm letting my guard down or we're not working hard enough towards our goals, et cetera. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I think I think you see that a lot in the military because you feel like you're supposed to act a certain way at work. And so I think, it's, I think a lot of, I think everyone does it. Um, but I think particularly in the military, people will show up with a different demeanor because maybe they're worried, like you said, that you're not showing seriousness toward the goal or we're not driving in the right direction. But when you show your true personality, I think it, I, th I think most of the time it helps. Now, granted, sometimes you have to curb certain pieces in certain, I mean, you still have to have, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Understand your situation that you're in, right? Like right. It's not yeah, like it's situational leadership, right. situational, yeah, situational personality. Exactly. Well, I think exactly. You, 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 were, you, you answered both questions. You say, what would you send in an email to officers? What would you say to send in an email to some of our alum that just recently made the transition? But you, you've answered both. And I'm going to go a little bit. Um, I could stay on longer for our podcast now because I had to get off for another conference call, but I just saw it come across my email. They're moving that time. So I've got one of the, got more time. So one of the things I really, I find, um, I'm just really lucky in this job. 
of what I've learned about like leadership, communication, presence, all of these things. And I've been able to pass it on to my children, teach them how to, you know, shake hands, look people in the eye, navigate decisions about educational choices, those things. I've been just really lucky. Now what I I feel like I've really uh, become very, very blessed with and very lucky with is the um, incredible uh, women that I have worked with, um, officers like you or former officers like you, excuse me, that are working in business. Because I have two older daughters and I have a younger daughter. My two older daughters are sophomore, senior ones going on to, going off to college next year. And I've had her talk to uh, some, a couple of our really successful um, women alumni. And I'd love to hear if there's anything that you would say to young women in business, uh, women making the transition, any specific advice for them? Yeah, you know, I had the same feeling when I was in my MBA and when I transitioned. So earlier I mentioned sometimes you or people make leadership more about changing the world and they make it this huge thing that you give yourself an excuse to not not be a leader. And I think sometimes it's driven because in the military they push like you're part of this bigger mission. During my MBA program, they were always pushing, you know, you could start this, especially at Berkeley, there's a lot of startups there. So it's kind of this push for, man, you could start this new business that really changes the world. And I think as a woman, sometimes I get that too. So you're like, man, you, we need more women in tech board on, you know, we need more women in tech. We need more women uh, CEOs. We need more women VPs. And so it's so easy to get caught up in what the world needs that you forget what you want. And so one, my one piece of advice is to not forget to chase what brings you fulfillment. Because when you do that, it allows the women around you to do the same. It doesn't have to be to fit into this, we need more women in STEM. We need more. If that's what you enjoy, by all means, go for it. But do it because that's what you want to do, not because the world is saying we need more women in these areas. Right, it's true for everything. You should, you know, listen to the, the desires that we have. And we have those desires for a purpose, and it takes some time to figure it out. But you got to figure out whose desire are you pursuing. Um, but that's uh, that's good, and especially as my my oldest daughter is looking at STEM. Hopefully, she's doing it because she likes it, not because I encouraged her for it or some other reason. Well, um, and if you do, if you do like that, and you end up in a male-dominated career you can still be yourself. So kind yeah. of like when I said the, what are you leaving at home that you should be bringing to work? And I'd say the same goes true for women in the military is you never have to put on that mask in my opinion. You still have to show your competence obviously, just like the guys do. You might come up from some, I wouldn't say additional, but different roadblocks than some of your peers might, your male counterparts. But don't let that stop you from being yourself and knowing and reminding yourself that you have a right to be at the table and you have a right to sit at the table. So, because um, you see that sometimes too. I think you see that a lot more from the women than the men where they'll they'll come in with a mask. And try I would challenge them not to they're do not. that. Try, try to, yeah, exactly. try to be something that they're not or what the, what the world expects them to be. Exactly, um, exactly. Uh, okay, do you, uh, I put you on the spot. I think for this podcast, I probably have asked you, maybe because I thought you could handle it, maybe because you're teaching business communication at Berkeley. I just figured you could handle some really hard questions. 
put you right on the well, spot. Well, I hope I answered them okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I, th- I think so. Um, I think you did great. I learned a lot. Um, but maybe we turn the tables here. Do you have anything where you want to ask me, anything you want to put me on the spot about? I think fair is fair, but if you don't, <laughs> if you don't have anything, I'm, I'm okay with that too. <laughs> um, let's see. Well, I'm actually, I don't know if this is podcasting material, but I'm curious what you're seeing. Like, how would you classify the people who are being recruited at this point? Like, is there a, you know, there's a lot, this is a, a totally, I guess, co- almost controversial question, but there's like a lot of talk in business these days about millennials and and how they're going to integrate into the workplace and how companies can prepare for them. So I'm curious if you're starting to see that with who you're recruiting or if the military creates a different breed of people entering the workforce. Oh, excellent question. And the bottom line is absolutely we are seeing an impact on uh, the millennial generation. And for the most part, the millennial generation it has many things that they are described uh, about in terms of, you know, one of the things that they could be described about is described or characterized, that's the word, characterized is, you know, they are um, a very, uh, a group that really wants to find meaning in their work. That's one thing that characterizes them. And I love that. And so that's I'm really glad you talked about meaning today. And I, they want to know that their work is going to make an impact and going to make a difference. And I love that about them because I think the same way. I think that mm-hmm. even when I was at that age, and our gener- my generation, Gen X, did not necessarily think that way. I think we were very much more money motivated, um, I think, or success motivated, whatever it is. But in general, I like characterization. That's one of the things I really like about it. But, but I would say the thing that I'm challenged with that is what you just said here. It doesn't have to be the, uh, the, the, visu- the visible meaning that you might see in something. I think they, again, a general characterization. It doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. It's right in front of you. It's right in front of you. It's it's the person sitting next to you at work. It's the team member that's right there that needs some mentoring. It's that person that you're coaching and counseling. Because you got to remember what I I was trying to keep in the back of my mind. There's always some. Everybody that you interact with always has something that they're dealing with. Just always keeping that in the back of your mind. So everybody you interact yes. with, you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to make their life somehow better in that interaction. Second thing that a characterization is that they love information as a we all do but they really want, they're used to instant information lots of information good information and um, it's forced Cameron Brooks to be better with our website podcasts and um, blogging uh, newsletters and uh, our, our learning library and things like that and it's made my work a lot more fun and engaging to do things like this to get that information for them. And it's challenged me as well. So I've, that's been a huge positive. And um, I think it's important. You know, if we're partnering with somebody in a career search, we have tried at Cameron Brooks to be much more, this is what's going on, here's the information, here's the better ways to deliver it, deliver it uh, uh, to you. Um, 
the third thing that is technology. They love technology. And so, that, again, that's made it really fun for us at Cameron Brooks because we've got, we got a great, we got to upgrade the website. We've got to make our things more mobile. We've got to be talking about potentially doing apps and things like that. And so I like, and I think those things all make us better. And I like, unlike, I think, at least me personally, I'm not willing to question things as much. And I like, you know, when, when people question things professionally, or give feedback professionally, it makes us all better. It holds us accountable. They do mm-hmm. that really well. One of the things that I think we, everybody's challenged with, and I would, it, so it's not just their, this characterization of a group, but I would say is patience. Um, yeah. And it just being a little bit more patient. Things will come. They don't always happen so fast. Whether that be the, they're used to the information coming so quickly, you know, you type in something, you get an automatic response. The career is not that way. And um, careers take time. They take experience. And it takes seeing certain situations many times. In a, so you're in a position and you're in like your, I don't know, production team leader. You're a supply chain analyst. It takes time to be in that role. A couple years, two, three years to see situations come up and really your brain is 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 actually and I can't give you the science behind it, but your brain is actually growing and developing synapses and you know, firing neurons or whatever they are to be able to like solve those problems and you're developing that skill set. So when you see them again, your brain has the ability to flow through that problem and think through, I saw it similar to this problem before, it's similar to this and here's how I handle it or it didn't go well. And that's why it's not always easy or the right thing to move real quickly through a job because you're, you have not seen a sit, situations multiple times so that you now have the foundation to go to the next level. I think there are roles that you get into and you're like, yeah, I can do this job. Yeah, you can do the job, but you're in this job and there's going to be problems that come up once a month, once every other month mm-hmm. that are going to challenge you a little bit. You'll solve them. You got to do that enough times. Maybe not every day this job is like challenging you. But you got to do things enough times to develop that maturity, synapses, whatever it is, to say, "Yep, been through that problem. This is how it works." Because I thought yeah. when I was at Cameron Brooks the first three years, boy, I could light the world on fire. I could do all this. <laughs> but now I look where I am. And I'm like, holy cow! I didn't know a thing, and I'm really confident in my ability now. And this doesn't need to take 18 years. Just really confident in my abilities because I've seen so much now in 18 years. Not only I've seen it, but I've had to work through those problems, and I've got this like mental playbook in my mind. When this comes up, it's sort of like this. When this happens at this time, and I don't get I don't get all wigged out or or um, overwhelmed or make a bad decision. And I think that's what I just wouldn't pass on to any young leader making the transition to business. So just be a little bit more patient. Mm-hmm. And the last thing would be to talk, communicate. It made you, you, you guys, the generation does great with it, but don't make decisions about your career without talking to your boss, your supervisor, and, and find out what's going on. Hopefully that answers your question. It's kind of long, but. No, absolutely. Actually, you touched on something that I thought was really interesting because I've been thinking this for a while. Um, people always say, follow your passion. 
And I completely agree with you with the as a very overarching stereotype with the millennial generation looking for meaning. But I think sometimes people forget with fulfillment, passion, when you take the word passion, I think a lot of times people think, well, I really enjoy editing movies, so I want to go work in Hollywood. Instead of diving a little bit, a couple levels deeper and understand what, what it is that you're truly passionate about, and can you find that in the work you're doing today? So my example would be I've always really enjoyed solving puzzles and working in ambiguity. I like knowing everything. So I really like strategy. So it worked out in intelligence, and it worked out in the job that I'm in now. And I, I love that I get to play with all these different pieces all the time, and it's just different every day. And so while if you asked my 17-year-old self, what are you passionate about, I never would have said supply chain. But I really enjoy right. the types of problems I get to solve every day. And part of that comes with the patience piece is people think about passion as such a surface. I, in my opinion, I think a lot of people think of passion as very surface level. I'm going to chase this activity that I'm very passionate about or this thing or this idea. But a lot of times job fulfillment comes from mastery, which is exactly what you were referring to earlier, I think. That you have to see things long enough and being an expert and mastering a subject and, and having curiosity for curiosity's sake can be very fulfilling. The, and so uh, I think that's a, that's, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just, I was just going to say that I think, you know, mastery takes time, it takes patience, but I think it's extremely fulfilling, and you can only get that if you come in with the right mindset and, and take the slow road, take the marathon, or do the marathon, and you'll be really, really fulfilled at the end, in my opinion, or throughout, you should be fulfilled throughout, but I think it's, um, you'll realize that it's a lot more fulfilling than you initially expected or that you could be passionate about something that you didn't realize you were passionate about. Yeah, maybe there's like a book, there probably is a book called, it's like Stumbling on Success or something like that, or maybe it could be called Stumbling on Passion, because when I talk with people, they'll say things, I want to do something I'm passionate about. And um, I, it's, I think it's hard to be 26 to 32, 33, and say that I'm passionate about this certainly from a career field standpoint or a job, but I think you can be passionate or have a lot of interest in technology or interest in leadership, mm -hmm. whatever it may be. But I think actually getting excited and passionate about a job is something, or a career, is something that grows over time. It's almost a little bit like mm -hmm. falling in love with your spouse. You know, I really like that person. I'm looking for these characteristics. Let's go out. Oh, I like this. Let's go on another date. I like this too. And, and this like all of a sudden turns into, into uh, you know, love and, and then in a marriage. That's, that's a little bit like I, I, I never, never once in high school, certainly not in college, certainly not in the military. I never sit back as like, wow, I would love to be a junior military officer recruiter someday. That would be passionate. Exactly. Passionate. I just stumbled into this thing. I mean, completely stumbled mm -hmm. into it. And I would say for my and I and I chose it because I felt like it was a place where I was going to grow the most, and um, I was going to work with some great people. Those are my first two things. And then I was young and had a young, uh, getting ready to have a young family, and um, it was a great place to raise my kids. That was the third third thing I picked it for. And it probably took me three years to figure out. Wow, I really like this. 
I think for the first two years, my head was just spinning. Like I didn't even know mm-hmm. if I liked it or not. And I think that I would say something I would pass on to people is that passion just comes over time. Get into something where you, you have the skill set to master. You have the skill set yeah. and you like it. And you like it. It doesn't have to be a passion, but you like it and it's a skill set. And it builds a foundation. Um, again, talking to my mentor today, she just said, you know, if you can just do those things and you can be curious and ask other people questions, and you're just open to things, it's amazing what you'll stumble onto. And I, I, I agree. If you can build your foundation and be a good listener and be curious and open to change, you'll, you'll stumble into something. Exactly. You you don't want to put your blinders on. You don't want to put your blinders on because you're so set on your five-year plan or your 10-year plan or whatever it is that you missed out on something that you could have really enjoyed. Because I think sometimes people get so set on their goals that they forget, kind of like what you were saying, you know, you might discover something along the way and you don't want to not be able to hear it because you're too busy or you're too focused on a title or whatever it is that you're driving for. Um, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a roadmap or anything, but you've got to keep your blinders open or to keep your blinders off and, and be curious. I think that's like the biggest piece is just be curious, look through everything with curiosity and you'd be amazed what you learn or what you become passionate about or what you start to realize you enjoy. I think that's my theme from the day after my conversation with my mentor today. She even talked about the same thing, being curious, asking good questions. Well, we started this call, you, before we started recording, like, oh, boy, I hope that I don't get formal once we started. I would, yeah, I, you know, I think that um, I may have caused you to be a little formal. We started out a little slow, and I'm sorry I stepped on your sentences, interrupted you a few times. i got to get better at that. i got to get better at interviewing people on these podcasts. But I think we ended strong, covering some great, great topics at the end. So I really appreciate you being a part of the podcast, Tanya. Who knows? Maybe I need to have you back and talk talk about what you're teaching at UC Berkeley. Oh yeah, I would love that. That'd be fantastic. I think I would but love no, it. maybe um... you can help me. <laughs> maybe you can help me. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think we can all help each other at times. Well, thanks for being on here, and um, we will be in touch and hope to have you back on again soon. Yeah, absolutely. It's always a pleasure speaking with you, Joel.